What is up, ladies and gentlemen? We are back once again with another episode of Puckin' Around here on the Review and Preview Sports Network. As always, I am your host, Noah Dog Dibor, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and good buddy, Guard Charger Patrick. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Oh, I'm fired up as ever. Tomorrow, albeit not really Friday, it is my Friday. Uh, so obviously fired up about that. Playoffs right around the corner, playoff races. As tight as ever, the West is like completely up for grabs. Uh, the East, the first seed's a little bit more set in stone, but still some teams competing right behind them for the second, third spots, wild card race, kind of three or four teams that realistically could make it in. So, you know, really fired up in general, and especially because playoff hockey is just around the corner, my friend. Yep, uh, this is going to be, like it says in the uh, sh- show post, uh, this will be the last episode for the regular season, the next time we're back, we will be talking playoff previews and predictions. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, before getting further into Garth, we already got a bunch of comments coming on here. Um, as always, uh, you got to get us fired up with the Ric Flair. Woo! Here we go. Bolt up, says Garth. And our good buddy Ray, one of our biggest fans, says, Boys, how are we doing? Pretty good. Nice, uh, up, beautiful, beautiful Thursday or Tuesday evening here in the uh, Georgia mountains. Uh, Brad Mangold coming in saying, let's get it, go Oilers. We're going to talk about the Oilers a little bit later. Been very hot lately, actually. One of the best teams since January. Uh, and Ray says, Noah's got one eye on the scoreboard tonight. Well, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep up with it. But, you know, the way the pins are playing, hey, I'll look away for five minutes and the Devils will be up 3 nothing. So uh, that's just how it's, how, how it's going lately. But, um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about in this one. Um this is there. There's there's somebody going to be so. I think there's going to be a lot of debate and controversy in this show, Garth, which there usually isn't a lot of. But we got some topics that I think a lot of people will have opinions on in this one. Uh, Ray says, "Don't worry, I've got it on. Keep us posted on that, Ray." And our good buddy Tom Scavetta coming in saying, "Great to have you back, gang. It's good to be back." Um, we took a week off because, quite frankly, last week uh, there was just nothing to talk about. I mean. It gets tough once you get close to the playoffs, but uh, you can bet once once the playoffs come here, we're going to have no shortage of stuff to talk about. Uh, but we're going to get right into it, Garth. We've got a couple of very topics in this one. We're not going to really talk about the playoff races in the West too much. We talked about that last show. We'll cover the East a little bit, but I also want to talk about a, a few awards, some comments from Wayne Gretzky uh, that were, were very interesting to read. And also uh, we're going to talk about one of the hottest teams in the NHL a little bit later in the show. Uh, but we'll start with this, Garth, uh, the Eric Carlson thing. Now, you brought this up, and this was a stat I wasn't aware of, but it's actually very interesting. Uh, Carlson currently has 95 points in 76 games, and I did check, Garth. Uh, he has played in every game, so the Sharks do still have six games played, 22 goals, 73 assists. He has a chance at reaching 100 points for the season. If he's able to do this, he would become the first defenseman to score 100 points in the NHL since Rangers defenseman Brian Leach in the 1991-92 season. Obviously, everyone knows how much of a legend Brian Leach was for the Rangers. Obviously, a good old American boy as well. And I think the thing that's most impressive, Garth, is that Carlson's doing this on a Sharks team that, uh, to say they're bad, would honestly probably be pretty generous. They just have absolutely nothing on their team this year. Um, and obviously, you know, we talked about the trade speculation a few weeks back, but I think, you know, with this big contract, it was more likely than not he was going to stay. But he's still been playing great uh, even after, you know, the deadline, Garth, you know, approaching that century mark. And it's got some people questioning, Garth, despite the fact, you know, he's on such a terrible team. He's a minus 14, which you could argue is linked to that terrible team. Uh, the odds for of him to win the Norris Trophy – are still pretty good. In fact, I got the uh, betting odds for it real quick just because that's, you know, a pretty decent metric. The the betting odds has no reason to be biased because they may make money either way. Uh, but the Norris Trophy odds, this is from Vegas Insider Guard, and this is from yesterday morning, so this is very recent. Has Eric Carlson as a minus 200 favorite to win the Norris Trophy? Uh, Adam Fox in second, plus 425, and then Rasmus Dahlin at third to plus 1,200. A lot of great names on there. McCarr, Morrissey, yeah, I mean, all the way down to, like, Victor Hedman, maybe. I mean, these are all top-level guys. Then you get into guys like Petrangelo and Theodore. Still some good names in there. Um, lots of great defensemen guard. But, you know, there's a couple, you know, things we need to si- dissect here. Number one, uh, do you think that Eric Carlson will reach 100 points to become the first defenseman to do that in over 30 years? And number two, 
do you believe, despite the fact, you know, he may not have the Gaudi plus minus and whatnot, that he can still win the Norris Trophy? Yeah, so first, do I think he hits 100 points? Um, I think it's very likely, and the reason why I say that, Noah, is the fact that they do still have six games to play, and also when you look at his stats personally this season, uh, it's very lopsided in that he does have 22 goals, but he has 73 assists, so it's Mm -hmm. not like – it's kind of like a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split. It's, you know, like a 70-30 split in terms of assist to goals. So it's not like he needs to go out there and score a bunch of goals. He just, you know, uh, needs to have an assist or two a game, and he'll easily hit that mark. As far as winning, you know, it, it, it's the fact that he's on a really bad team kind of helps him and hurts him because on one hand you're like, hey, look, at what he's doing on a really bad team. He, he's playing out of his mind offensively. You know, we don't see defensemen do this that often. Obviously, it hasn't been done since, like you noted there, Brian Leach in the 91-92 season. That really stood out to me when I was doing my research. Um, But it can also be used against him because, obviously, the Norris Trophy goes to the best uh, defenseman in the entire NHL, and being a good scorer is only kind of half of that battle. You know, they, they still look at how do you look on the other end of the ice? What's your plus minus, you know, right. have a very clear impact on the defensive side of the thing uh, of the ice. Uh, so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if he does win it by personal opinion, based on all the research that I did for this one is that it's, it seems like the consensus opinion is if he gets a hundred or more points by the time the season ends, then he pretty much is a shoe in to win it. If he doesn't reach that, 100 plus point mark that's when it kind of becomes more of a controversy more of a debate about whether or not do you give it to a guy who maybe didn't have quite as good offensive numbers uh but was a lot better on the plus minus you know probably because they're on a much better team you know obviously Mm -hmm. the new york rangers they were fox are way better than the shark uh Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to break down with this. We got more comments coming in. Uh, Ray says if Carlson doesn't win the Norris Trophy, the fix is in. Um, Tom's saying what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, Tom was in Vegas for a little work trip, so um, <laughs> that was interesting. And our good buddy Nick D. Uh, Friday night's out of line at 7 p.m. If you want to see Nick Nick consistently whiffing on his bets, saying, what's up, guys? What's up, Nick? How are you doing tonight, my man? What's up, Nick? Um, what are your but picks, yeah, I. <laughs> What are, what are your picks indeed? And it's a, it's a bad bad time to be a fan of these boys, back-to-back national champs. But um, I agree with you. I, I think the thing with Carlson is, first of all, number one, uh, if he did reach 100 points, that'd be incredible. I mean, you look at defensemen and you say, man, if they hit 50 points, that's a remarkable season. If they're point per game, that's legendary. And then you think about hitting 100 points, to do that as a forward, is remarkable to do that as a defenseman. I mean, like we said, it hasn't been done in 30 years, so it's it's pretty remarkable what he's been doing this season. And once again, like you said, the fact he's doing on a team with not a lot. I mean, there's no more Timo Meyer there. I you know I do like Logan Couture, but he's getting up there in age. He, they just don't really have much. And the defensive core outside of Carlson, I mean, Vlasic's still there, and he, I, swear, I swear this guy it feels like he's like 49 years old at this point. He's got a pretty rough contract as well. Um, the fact he's putting up these incredible numbers is remarkable. As for the trophy aspect, there, there's a couple things. Number one, the Norris always favors offense defensemen. Like, you could be a plus 70, but if you only put up 40 points, you're not going to win the Norris. That's just how it is. I don't think the fact that Carlson is a minus 14 will really hurt him because they tend to favor offensive numbers more. And look, I mean, guard, that's not something uncommon, right? When we're putting together our teams of the week, we're not pu- always putting guys that were a plus 10 for the week or whatnot. We're trying to find that balance of guys that did well scoring, but maybe did some stuff defensively as well. Um, Carlson has always been a more offensive-focused defenseman in his career. I don't think that's unfair to say by any stretch. However, I mean, when you he, when he do it at the rate he is this year, I mean, I, I don't see any way he doesn't win the Norris. And like Ray alluded to, if he didn't win the Norris, I think it'd be pretty disgraceful because – in my opinion, you would be holding a guy's team against him for what should be an individual re- award. And that's not right. It's not Carlson's fault. The Sharks are terrible. Okay, his contract stinks, 
But, you know, he, first of all, he's not the only one with an inflated contract on that team. And second of all, at least he produces at an elite level this year to, you know, at least somewhat justify that tag. And, uh, you know, number two, I mean, you just can't ignore the, uh, the offensive numbers. 20 goals for a defenseman as well as a very high mark uh, for a defenseman. And he's not, he's not only point per game, he's assist per game. I mean, the guy's just absolutely dishing it all over the ice. So, you know, there's been some incredible seasons. I mean, Adam Fox has been terrific. Kale McCarr, I think, has kind of fallen under the radar because of, you know, the, the avalanche injuries and whatnot. Um, and uh, other guys like Dougie Hamilton on Rays Devils, has, I think, has been remarkable two-way defenseman. But, like like you said, if he hits 100 points, like, he should not only win it, it should probably be close to unanimous, in my opinion. Um, Brad says... MVP for McDavid having an amazing season. Yeah, he's going to win the heart, and that's another one that should almost be unanimous. I will say, though, Brad, um, if I had to list a couple guys that were very distant seconds, I think Linus Olmark has been incredible. Um, you could even – see, the thing with Carlson is the, the heart has more of a, a team aspect associated with it, so I couldn't really say him. But, yeah, Olmark has been great. Matthew Kachuk has been – Terrific. He's been like, phenomenal. He I has been about him the other day. He's kind of trying to like single-handedly limp that Florida Panthers team into playoffs. Yeah, man. Hey, if the pins keep, you know, doing their best dying duck impression down the stretch, they, they might get it. Uh, also, real quick, Noah, not to get us yes. off on the tangent or anything, but the fact that you brought it to Chuck kind of sparked the uh the, the thought in my head, and this is by no means a shot at like the Calgary Flames or Jonathan Hoover, though, actually a really big fan of him personally. But as mm -hmm. of right now, at least, whether Panthers make playoffs or not, just from a pure like player performance standpoint, so Chuck has blown Hoover out of the water this year and really makes him look like it might have been a smart move, at least for one season. Yeah, and I don't know what what's with that because, you know, Hubert was is second in the points in the league last year. He's going to a team that was pretty good last year. Um, I, I just don't know what happened. He's just nowhere. He's, he hasn't been at the races. Hopefully he gets it going next season. I mean, you know, if you, if you want to look up worst hockey prediction, go back to our, our, one of our preseason shows where I said that Hubert would win the heart. Uh, that, that was a massive swing and a miss. I'll say on that one, but yeah, I was not expecting, well, it's not necessarily, I wasn't expecting Kachuk to be this good. Cause we know he has that talent. I just wasn't expecting Hubert to plateau that much. I thought, and especially adding in Uyghur, I thought the Flames would be really good. But, um, you know, sometimes it, it takes longer to develop that chem chemistry on a team that, than we might think. A couple more comments coming in. You guys are blowing it up tonight. Um, Tom says, New York Rangers. Yes, the, the New York Rangers are, uh, I will say, uh, they did lose the Rays Devils about a week ago in a massive game. So it looks like the Devils would probably be able to hold on to second division unless something crazy happens. But uh, I either told Tom to forget about the New York Mids and get all aboard the New York Rangers hype train. <laughs> yeah, the Mets lost ten nothing to the Brewers last night. That was rather embarrassing. But at least they're not zero four like the the Philadelphia Phillies. I, I will say that. Uh, Ray says Pittsburgh to the power play. We'll, we'll see if any of their uh, geriatric ward patients will be able to put in the back of the net. But um, yeah, speaking of the Pens, Garth, perfect segue there. We're going to talk about the Eastern Conference. I don't know why this is a ticker, but uh, whatever. Eastern Conference wildcard race um, revisited. Uh, we talked about this on our last show a little bit. We talked about the Islanders, the Panthers, and the Penguins most specifically. Islanders are kind of stretching away in that first wildcard spot. So now we're going to focus more on the second wildcard spot. And I don't know your thoughts on this one, Garth, but as I'm looking at the standings here, uh, I see three teams in particular that I think have the best chances. Obviously, the Pens, who are currently holding on to that spot by one point, uh, they have 86, the Panthers at 85. Both have 75 games played. Uh, but, Garth, there's one team here that's a little bit interesting to me, and I think, you know, both of us and a few others are probably writing this team off about a week or so back, but the Buffalo Sabres, who currently have two games in hand on the Panthers and Penguins and are four points behind the Panthers. So if they win both those games in hand, they'll be tied with the Panthers. And also, Garth, the Sabres and Panthers are currently playing right now. So that's something we need to keep an eye on. If the Sabres lose that game, uh, they might very well be out of it. But if they win it, uh, they're going to be right back in the thick of it. So we need to revisit this once again. Who do we think gets that second wild card spot in the East? Garth, we'll start with you on this one. 
Yeah, this is a really tough one uh, for me personally. I mean, even the, the, the Isles do look like they should hold on, but the, the thing with them really is they are by no means guaranteed. So there's always potential for a shakeup there. But, uh, you know, Pens and Panthers, obviously probably the first two that you go, okay, yeah, I could see them making playoffs because they've both been in the, the playoffs the past few seasons. They both have, you know, granted with the Pens, an old roster, they still have very talented uh, rosters, whereas the Sabres are kind of that young buck up and coming team that's a little bit ahead of schedule, um, you know, but you can't write the Buffalo Sabres off. I, I made that mistake. Um, I thought that they were just kind of going to limp into the potentially Connor Bittard sweepstakes, uh, but they are fighting tooth and nail to potentially get a wild card spot, which if they did, uh, I'm not going to jump ship here and say that they they win a series or anything, but I think that's probably one of the teams you least likely want to draw in the wild card round because their offense has just been so good all year that they could potentially make for a very, very tough first round opponent. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, Noah, and uh, our good buddy Mike Bradley, give him a little bit of a shout out, the, uh, the newly found passionate Buffalo Sabres fan that me and Noah both know, uh, he showed us that really it's a, such a wide range of outcome. It's like if they just drop one or two games, they basically have no chance of making playoffs. But if they if they win out or maybe lose one game, it's like mm-hmm. they have like an 80, 90 percent chance of getting in. So it, it's really going to come down to, um, you know, can they win out essentially? And they've got a tough road ahead of them. I mean, uh, they're playing tonight, like you said, at Panthers, a team who wants playoffs really, really badly. Tuchuk is playing hot at Red Wings. You know, that one's not as tough. They're kind of out of the playoff mix, not a lot to play for. Uh, then they come back home to take on the Canes. That's a really tough game at the Rangers, at the Devils, uh, come home again to play the Senators and finish at the Blue Jackets. So there's definitely some very winnable games in there, but there's also some very, very tough games um, I don't know if they're going to be able to get it done, Noah, honestly, because that is a very tough slate, but I would say I wouldn't count them out. Don't don't uh, don't write them off dead to rights because they definitely do have a chance. And I think a large part might be the guy who just had his first start the other night and levy for them. You know, is he going to follow up that performance? I think he he's either playing tonight or in the next game that they have. They announced so can kind of his uh, newcomer heroic health flying loaded offense that wants their first taste of uh you know playoffs yeah no the leave thing was interesting because we we only talked about him signing that contract last show and i when they signed that contract i wasn't expecting hey you're gonna make your debut like three days after you sign it that was that was surprising to me but you know you're right he did better than i expected i mean the sabers got the win in overtime over uh those new york rangers by the way um, and it's it's a big win for them, and they need to win tonight against the Panthers, I think, to have any shot. I think the Isles would be okay. I mean, you know, I know they just got boat raced, dare I say, by your Lightning the other night. But, I mean. So, uh, real quick, Noah, with yeah. the Isles, I, I meant to mention this. Um, the thing with them is their defense is one of the best in the league, actually, and their goaltending when Sorokin is on is really good. The mm-hmm. issue with them is they cannot score. Like, they absolutely struggle to put the puck in the back of the net. So that's really my only concern with them. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're definitely tough enough to uh, to get to playoffs with how good of that defense is. Yeah, I think the thing with Al's offense, and we, we've kind of mentioned this a few times in the past, it's basically with the Barzal injury, it's basically Brock Nelson and everybody else on that offense. They're more focused on being a defensive team uh, with elite goaltending. Um, now, if Sorokin, for whatever reason, struggles in the playoffs, uh, the Islanders are going to be done pretty immediately. Uh, they need him to, you know, 925, 930 save percentage, what have you, uh, I think, to really have a chance of doing anything in the playoffs. Uh, Tom trying to troll it up here saying, the Penguins continue to dominate Stanley Cup contenders. I wish, man. I wish. Uh, give me Buffalo and Pittsburgh, says Ray. Um, and right after that, uh, Ray with the reverse jinx picks Pittsburgh to make the playoffs, and then the Devils immediately score to make it one nothing. Uh, Pittsburgh's power play immediately ends, and they concede a goal, as usual. Sorokin should win the Vesna. Uh, interesting comment. And to be honest, Ray, I can't really – the only guy I would place above Sorokin, in my opinion, would be Olmark. But the thing with Sorokin is his goal saved above average is, like, right there with Olmark. I mean, they have both stood on their heads 
this season. I just think because Olmark's on a better team, you know, got more wins, what have you. I think the voters will give a a tiebreaker, if you will, to Olmark over Sorokin. Um, but I definitely expect Sorokin to get a lot of votes for the Vesna. Horvat has been a ghost. Yeah, that has uh, not been not been great. Um, they extended him at least, so it's not like they're going to lose him for nothing. But it would definitely be nice if he got it going. I remember when that trade first happened, Garth. We kind of mentioned, you know, this is a guy, defensive first center, but he was having a career year in Vancouver this year points-wise. Could he keep that up? Um, obviously, you know, still very early on. He has plenty of years there with the Islanders uh, to make a name for himself. Uh, Ray says games played is a big difference. Uh, and Mikey Bradley, hello, ladies. What's up, Mikey? We were just What's talking up, about we were just talking about your Sabers, but it's tough. I I think I if the, I personally know I would give yes at least if I'm not really my opinion, but if I'm a voter looking at this, I think that Olmert gets the edge because the individual statistics, like save percent, goals against, goals above expected, is very similar. Like neither player is above and way beyond the other to make like enough of a, you know, a solid stout argument. But the one thing that is like way, way different for these two is the win losses. Like Linus Allmark, 38 and six on the year. Uh, Sorokin, a little bit over 500 at 28 and 21. And obviously, that isn't completely on either one of those guys. It is in large part a team number. Uh, but as far as at least what I've seen personally, that does weigh really heavily with the Vesna Trophy voters, especially, like I said, when the individual statistics are mm -hmm. not really, really far apart. So I think that's why I would give him an edge as far as who do I think ends up winning it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I think Sorokin is an incredible goalie, obviously. But, you know, I do think the wins and whatnot will, will be a little bit of a, a deciding factor. I mean, Olmark's had one of the best seasons a goalie has had in recent years. So it's not an insult by any means if Sorokin didn't win it. I think most years with the season he's having, he would win it. It's just Olmark's having, you know, a record-breaking season in some ways. Uh, you know, Boston Bruins records, whatnot. I don't remember all of them. But, you know, he's having one of the best seasons a goalie for them has had in, in decades, I would say. Uh Ray says Sorokin has played 58 games and Olmark 47. You have to put Hellbuck in this conversation too. Yeah, Hellbuck's a beast as well. Um, I do like Ottinger as well. Unfortunately, he's not quite there like I thought he would be, but um, I think he'll be there for quite a few years to come. But regardless, um, as for my two teams, or, my, or excuse me, the team I think will get the second wild card, I really think it depends on who wins the Sabres-Panthers game. I think the Pens are going to lose to Devils tonight. I don't I don't think that's a surprise for anyone to hear me say that. I think if the Sabres can beat the Panthers, get some momentum, and then they can win a, if they can win their game in hand and they're only one point behind the Panthers, I think they could pass them. I'm not saying it, it's a guarantee, but you know, momentum is a very strong thing. I'll probably still get the Panthers a slight edge, though, to get that second wild card spot. Uh, but it's, it's a good race still, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, moving on to our next segment, uh, Garth, this was very interesting. And I think this is probably going to be one of the most controversial segments that we have done on this show because it's regarding the shootout, which people either absolutely love or hate with very little in between. And this is coming from Wayne Gretzky. So, you know, it's not some random guy. This is the greatest hockey player to ever play the game. On a segment on the show Face Off as part of TNT's NHL coverage, Wayne Gretzky proposed the idea of a shot cock for shootout attempts. This has come in response to complaints about some shooters, uh, most notably Caps Ford, Evgeny Kuznetsov, taking way too long to go through their shootout routines. Um, Gretzky, in talking about if someone did what Kuznetsov is doing back when he played, he says, and quote, 20 guys on the other team would have jumped over the boards, and if someone would have done it against us, 20 guys on our team would jump over the boards. you got to protect the goalies right. And he basically says... If you need eight or nine seconds to take a shootout shot, uh, you don't deserve to be taking it, is essentially his point. Now, I want to get into this. This is a very multi-layered thing we're about to discuss, Garth. Uh, before I do that, I do want to show something. I think it's important to display uh, what Mr. Gretzky is actually talking about, because it's one thing to say, oh, Wayne Gretzky says this, but I would actually like to play a short clip of Evgeny Kuznetsov's uh, shootout routine so people can kind of get an idea of what he's talking about. Now, the first thing I want to point out before I do play this video, uh, Kuznetsov is very good in the face-off, which are, excuse me, the uh, shootout. 
which I think is some pe- is why some people are bringing this up because it's very imp- very hard for goalies to stop what he does, but it's not impossible. So I'm just going to play one example. I don't have to play them all because they're pretty much the exact same, uh, but we'll just see what he does here in the shootout. All right, so now that we have an idea of what Gretzky is actually talking about here, uh, we're going to get into our, our opinions on this, our thoughts on Wayne Gretzky's comments on not only Kuznetsov, Garth, but the proposal of the shot clock for the shootout. Uh, we'll start with you on this one. What were your thoughts when you were reading this? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting to say the least because I can kind of see both sides of this argument. This is one where, I'm kind of split right down the middle on it. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I'm not like leaning really strongly towards one side or the other, this argument, Um, because like you said there, it's not like he's doing something that's completely unstoppable. I think it's just that it's so unorthodox and so like long and drawn out when you usually see these guys take really quick attempts that it's, you know, everybody's up in arms because they're like, wait a second, that's not what we're used to seeing. And and it's working really well. You know, this doesn't make any sense. Why is this guy allowed to do this? Uh, but, you know, and I'm no like uh, hockey expert as far as how to play the game by any means. Uh, but one thing that I would personally say watching that and watching, a, a, you know, being fortunate to watch a really good goaltender for many years now and a guy like Andre Vasilevsky is in one guy, your, your favorite, well, one of your favorite goaltenders now was very, very good at and has become known for is something called the poke check. You know, when this guy starts to get a little bit closer to the net, especially when you know this is what he's going to do almost every single time, you can just come out of the net a little bit and try and poke that puck away. You know, it's not like the goaltender has to stay in the crease and can't come out at all. They have every ability to come out of the net. Hell, he could even skate right to- right towards him at the start of it. Granted, it mm-hmm. would be uh, unorthodox and maybe not the best idea, but physically, if they wanted to, they are able to do that. Um, and then on the other side of things with Wayne Gretzky, his comments proposing a shootout clock, um, you know, the thing for me, Noah, is I guess it would make sense to kind of speed this up, um, but it's not like you're seeing this all the time, like multiple players across multiple teams doing this. It's literally just one guy. You know, do we really need to implement a shot clock for one single guy would be my kind of my question. And also, too, you know, keep in mind the sport has changed so, so much uh, since he's played. You know, obviously, it's still very physical. There's fighting. There's big hits. But, you know, at least from what I've gone back and watched of some more older vintage hockey like mm-hmm. full on brawls, clearing of benches was like way, way more common back then. You don't see it hardly as much anymore. So, you know, th- I think he's speaking a little bit from like my playing days instead of, you know, this is what would happen nowadays. But like I said, no, I, I think I can see both sides of this. Um, and maybe only really need a shot clock if like more players start doing this and it's more than just one guy. Uh, Ray says Buffalo is up one nothing. I have to be honest, I thought Gretzky was going to come down harder on the shootout, and then Ray follows it up by saying, just get rid of the stupid thing already. Go to three-on-three for 10 minutes. If nothing, game ends in a tie. Two-nothing New Jersey. Uh, Absolutely fantastic to hear that, Ray. But, um, yeah, in regards to this whole thing, um, first thing I want to say is this. Uh, The most important thing I think we should remember is, number one, by the rules the NHL has – if getting kick, what what if getting Kuznetsov does is 100% legal? All you have to do is go forward. Your body and the puck have to be moving forward at all times. If the puck ever goes backwards or you go backwards or sideways, your attempt is blown dead and it's over. So by the rules, what he's doing is perfectly fine. Now, as for you know, if I think his routine is weird or whatnot. Um, I, it's definitely unorthodox, I'd say. I, I think, like you said, Garth, the main thing is that this is really unique with him. He's the one that, when when Gretzky was talking about this, he instantly pointed him out. And, you know, that video I just showed, that was from January, Garth. And it was, you know, multiple minutes. So this is not something new that's just recently come up. This is something that has been 
associated with him for a while. And I mean, 24 or 56 on shootout attempts. So it's very effective. And then one part that Gretzky brought up was, is it fair to goalies for him to be able to do something like this? Now, see, this is, this is where it gets a bit controversial because I've never personally, I don't think I've ever said on the show, my opinion on the shootout, because usually we're just more focused on just uh, report, normal reporting. This is what happened. What's happening. We'll give our take on it. Uh, but when you start talking about the shootout and you give your opinion on it, that's one of those things that NHL fans uh, will get livid about and start rioting or whatnot if they disagree with your opinion. In my opinion, I do not like the shootout, and here's why. I think it's a gimmick. I understand why they do it because you don't want to have triple overtime games in the regular season when you have back-to-backs or two games in three days. However, it's kind of like the penalty shootout. In, um, up about the shootout. Yeah, hey, Rufus hates the shootout too, apparently. But um, it's kind of like the penalty shootout in soccer, right, where a team plays 120 minutes, the score is still tied or whatever, and they go to a penalty shootout. The reason I don't mind that as much for a sport like soccer is that it's much more lower scoring. I mean, you have games where teams can go 90 minutes and it's still 0-0 by the end. And another difference is soccer has draws, Garth. They do not, you know, there's not a winner every single game. They're perfectly fine with at the end of, you know, full time or whatever. If it's 1-1, they'll just give a point to each team and move on to the next game. Whereas with hockey, they had this obsession since they put in the shootout. They want every game to be decided with a winner. Um, in my opinion, I prefer the overtime format. I'm not saying five on five. That should be specifically reserved for the plows. But in regular season, my preferred tiebreaker would be I think kind of like what Ray said, maybe like a seven to 10 minute three on three overtime. If it still scores at the end of it, which by the way is incredibly unlikely, um, then you could just do a tie. I think give each team, you know, one point or whatever. But um, I just, I don't know. I've never personally liked the shootout. I don't mind watching the shootout, but I've always had this feeling, right? Once the, once the game gets passed overtime and, and it gets to shit, it's just like, eh, you know, not really interested. We'll see who gets that extra point. But it's just like, can we just get this game, you know, over with by this point? All, all the hockey's been played pretty much. Whereas if it was like a 10-minute three-on-three, I think it'd be more exciting. And I think you'd, first of all, I mean, three-on-three is, is very exciting to watch. And the chance of scoring on that is very high. So I don't think you'll even see a lot of ties uh, if that was the format. But yeah, regardless, do I think the NHL will ever put in a shot clock? It's not impossible. I never thought baseball would put in a pitch clock, and they did. So, but I don't think it's at the top of the docket for the NHL right now. Um, I will say that I, I do understand where Gretzky's coming from. Obviously, he's talking from a perspective of a guy who played in the '80s, where it was much more physical and, and whatnot. And obviously, they didn't have the shootout um, back then. It, it came, I think, after the lockout in 0405, something like that. Before that, they did have ties. So um, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting routine that Kuznetsov has. You know, he uses every little bit of time he has. I've honestly, it's honestly crazy to see someone skate that slow. But um, regardless, we'll see what happens. I personally don't really care either way or whatnot if they put a shot clock or not, because I'm never too interested in the shootout anyway. Um, obviously that's just my opinion, but, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. The NHL has consistently changed their tiebreaker format over the decades. They might do it again. Who knows? Um, but regardless, some more comments coming in. Um, Hey, keep doing it, Ray. We need these updates. These are absolutely crucial, man. And we're focused on too much of the show to often check. It's not like he's changing the shootout. Marty changed the game by playing the puck and he saw the trapezoid come out of it. Very good point. Yep. The uh, trapezoid rule was made because of Marty Brodeur. And honestly, another take, I don't think the trapezoid should even exist. I mean, Marty Brodeur was an exception. He shouldn't, you know, he was so good that he transcended the game and, and how the position was played. And they made a rule because of how good he was at doing it. I, I don't know. I, I never personally liked that. But, um, yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think Kuznetsov with the shootout is comparable to that by any means. Um, but next topic, Garth. We're going to talk a bit about the Edmonton Oilers, who since January 11th have a 23-5-6 record, one of the hottest teams in the NHL since that date, right there with the Bruins. Uh, I did check. The Bruins since that same date have like a 28-8-1 record. So less overtime losses, but more reg wins and reg losses. Um, they've also made some big decisions lately, Garth. At the deadline, or near the deadline, excuse me, I believe it was the end of February, 
They shipped off former number four overall pick Jesse Puglia Harvey to the Carolina Hurricanes and also traded defenseman Tyson Berry to the Predators for Matias Ekholm, which is a move that we talked about a few weeks ago when we had Brian on. However, the main topic with the Oilers, as always, is the rest of their defense and especially their goaltending. Jack Campbell, who they signed in the offseason, has really struggled. Stuart Skinner, you know, he's a rookie. He's had his moments here and there, but he definitely not a guy you would expect them to rely on heavily in the playoffs. Would have some people questioning, will it be more the same for the Oilers in the playoffs where they can, you know, put up five goals a night, but they give up six and they lose games, you know, in the, in these high scoring fashion. And ultimately it costs them once they actually get to a team like the Colorado Avalanche last season that has the offense to match them, but has way better defense and goaltending. So Garth, we'll start with you on this one because, you know, you were the one that actually brought this up. I didn't, I mean, obviously I knew the Oilers were doing well, but I didn't realize they were one of the hottest teams in the league in the past few months. Uh, they clinched the playoff spot. They're right there to win the Pacific, which, you know, a couple of weeks back, you know, we were talking about the this division and, you know, we seem to be higher on the, the Knights and Kings to win this division than the Oilers, but the Kings are now down the third last I checked. So what's your thought on the Oilers this season? You know, how they've been playing the past few months and your projections for them in the playoffs with the way they're going. Yeah, so one of the reasons why I mentioned this as a potential topic to you, Noah, is just like you said, it it honestly took me by shock. Like, look, obviously uh, I'm not living under a rock. I know Connor McDavid is having a absolutely incredible season. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl as well. He just doesn't get talked about enough because of being Connor McDavid's teammate. Yeah. Uh, Matthias Ekholm has been fantastic for them since he came over at the deadline. Um, but the thing when when they're like, this is technically, you know, win-loss-wise, the hottest team in the NHL, I was like, wait a second, really? Uh, but when you look at it, you know, it is true, obviously. But one thing that stands out with me, Noah, is the fact that, yes, they've been winning games, but they've, like, just barely been, you know, scraping by, winning by, like, one goal most of the time. Um, not really, you know, a blowout win here or there, but not really, you know, dominating by any means. Goalers approaches, hey, we're going to put up five or six goals and hopefully you score one less than us. So, you know, it's an interesting recipe for success, like we always talk about on here, and they've stuck with it so far. Um, ultimately, I don't know if it's going to pan out come playoffs. So, no, that's my real big question mark. I think they're going to – obviously, they clinch. They're going to be in playoffs. They could potentially win their division. Um, I just – I don't know if it's going to work out in their favor come playoffs because you, you don't exactly instill a lot of confidence in me. Uh, when you're getting blown out a lot of games and then when you do win, you're kind of just scraping by by, like, one goal. Sorry, I was just muted there. I was checking something. But, um, yeah, I think the thing with the Oilers, first of all, you know, you bring up the point a lot of, of close games. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think you have to win every game 5 nothing to show you're a good team. I think often the mark of a good team, Garth, is that team that's able to win that very tight game, the very physical defensive game or whatnot, and get, you know, that 2-1, 3-2 type of victory where, you know, it's really close right down the wire, but you're able to get those two points in regulation against a good opponent. I think the Oilers are a team I never would have expected, um, nor would your would your dog have ever expected to go on a stretch like this, uh, which is absolutely incredible. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is, and I think Ray mentioned this, uh, <laughs> the bigger question is how, longer does, how much longer does McDavid put up with this nonsense? You know, they have the best player in the league. They have one of the, I'd say, dry south of top five, top ten at the absolute worst player in the league. Definitely the best second-line center in the league, I would say. Um, and it's just never been quite enough for him. Even last season where it felt like those guys were putting up two points every single game, uh, still didn't work for him once they faced the Avalanche. Now, obviously, you can make the argument. Didn't work for anybody against the Avalanche last year because they won the Stanley Cup. I just – I don't know, Garth. I, it's hard for me to fully buy into the oars. I, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I'd love to see McDavid and Dreisaitl actually win the Stanley Cup. But the thing is – I do really like the Ekholm trade. I think Ekholm, solid defensive first defenseman. That's something the Oilers really needed. Tyson Berry was an offensive defenseman. They're not struggling for offense. They needed to shore up their defense. But even if 
if their defense is somehow better, which, again, I'm not exactly buying into that either. There's still the goaltending question. They signed Jack Campbell to, you know, that pretty decent contract last offseason, 886 save percentage. He's now basically been the backup for Stuart Skinner, who 911 save percentage, 2.88 goals against average, which is, you know, decent, especially for a rookie, but it's not something that pops off the sheet at you, right? And you're like, wow, this is a guy that you can count on in the playoffs to carry them to the promised land. Um, I don't know. I think their their streak has been incredible, and like we've always said multiple times in the show, never count on a hot team once you get to the playoffs. It's just when it comes down to that crunch time game, right? That you know that game six where it's tied two two in the third, or that overtime game or whatnot. Can the Oilers get it done then? Play sound defensive hockey to give their superstar forwards a chance to win the game. Um, that remains to be seen. I, I hope they can do it, um, but it's kind of one of those, I'll believe it when I see it things, if it, you will. It's kind of crazy, Don, to me that this Oilers team headed in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, you could argue that they're one of, if not the best offensive units on paper headed into this thing. But on the other side of things, you could also argue that they are the worst goaltending situation and the worst defense headed into playoffs. So, you know, it, it's just such a – We've talked about it a lot all season. It's just such a weird, weird situation there where the offense is just so insanely good. Obviously, the best scoring forward in the entire NHL. The guy behind him on the second line is right up there as well. And then, you know, it's like, and there's the rest of the team. Uh, Really, really strange. And also, too, one thing that I don't know if they'll be able to recreate or not. Uh, Evander Kane was lighting the world on fire last playoffs. I know you remember that very well. It was really cool to see, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, but they're going to need either him or somebody else to step up as well. Like you said, I just, I can't, you know, even with this run they've been on, I can't fully buy into this team in a postseason setting quite yet. Yeah. The King thing was a great story. I mean, he, he, you know, he had his personal issues, the whole gambling thing and the the situation uh, with his wife wasn't great. So to see him overcome that adversity and a great playoffs leading everyone in goals, I believe it was was phenomenal but then the question is well can he do it again this year uh we'll see obviously he's playing you know along the Mc, alongside mcdavid a drive saddle he's got a pretty good shot at repeating it um ray says i know a team that has a goalie they could use ray's <laughs> ray's always trying to just shop off mckenzie blackwood every stream it seems it's kind of a running gag at this point um not that i blame him though i did see a stat ray by the way that um mckenzie or uh not not blackwood but tech vanacek became the first Devil's goalie, but I believe it was more than 30 wins uh, since Martin Brodeur, who did it about nine times or something ridiculous like that. So uh, interesting stat there. But uh, they're going to have a, a tough opponent in round one. So we'll see what happens there. That's one of the series I'm most looking forward to as a neutral. Uh, but last topic before we get into our teams of the week, uh, checking in on the Calder Trophy, is Matthew Beneers of the Seattle Kraken still the man to beat? Now, I wanted to check in on this one, Garth, since you brought it up to me in the PMs last night. To see if something had really changed because, you know, we've been of the opinion in preseason we both picked him to win the Calder. He's been the consistent favorite the whole way. And I just wanted to check in on the betting odds to see if he was still the favorite in most people's opinion to win the Calder. And, uh, Guard, not to spoil it for you, but uh, I think this conversation is going to be a lot less uh, detailed or controversial or debatable uh, than some others we've had on this show because if you look at the betting odds for the Calder, uh, Matthew Beniers is a <laughs> minus 1,000 favorite uh, to win the Calder. Uh, guys close, Matthias McKelly, who is a, uh, I believe he's a winger on the Arizona Coyotes, has around 40 points in 60 games this year. Um, Beniers, if I remember right, has something like 53 and 64. Obviously, don't quote me on that. I looked up these numbers a while ago. Stuart Skinner, we just mentioned his stats a while ago, running 9-11 save percentage, 2.88 goals against average. And other guys, McTavish, Power, uh, Johnston. Now, the guy you mentioned, Guard, that was interesting to me, Logan Thompson at a plus 6,600, which is the same as Kochetskov, which is a bit interesting to me because Kochetskov has been in the AHL a lot this season, whereas Thompson has consistently been in the NHL. I think the thing that has hurt Thompson is the fact he was injured for quite a long time. He only has, has like 37 games played this season, and he's been good when he played. Um, but, yeah, in my opinion, Guard, I still think this has been year's trophy uh, to lose, and I don't even think the vote would be close. I think you brought up a good name in Thompson. I think if he didn't get hurt and he had something like 50, 55 games played instead of, you know, high 30s, whatever it was, I think he could be right there. 
But at the same time, awards like this really favor point scoring. They favor forwards. It's really hard for defensemen, especially goalies, to win it. You have to have a pretty remarkable season to do that. So in my opinion, yes, Matthew Beniers is still the guy to beat for the Calder, and I believe he will win it rather convincingly. Yeah, so real quick, Noah, before I touch on those two guys specifically, um, I do want to give a huge shout-out to a guy that was on that list that's not going to win it, obviously, but having a fantastic season nonetheless that I'm kind of a really big fan of, and he's not a Tampa Bay Lightning player, so I don't mention him very often. And that is Wyatt Johnston there on the Dallas Stars, only 19 years old, Noah, uh, his first ever NHL season, and he's a 20-plus goal scorer. Uh, 15 assists, 36 points total. That's really, really impressive. Um, for comparison, that's more goals than Matty Beniers, and he's a year younger. Obviously, less points total. Um, but, you know, he hasn't played in as many games. He isn't a top-line guy like Beniers there in Seattle. So that was really, really impressive to me, a guy that I'll be paying close attention to moving forward because uh, there's a lot of, like, interesting young talent on that team with him. You know, obviously, Jason Robertson recently, we didn't actually forgot to mention this all together, I think, but quick shout out to him as well, uh, set the franchise record for 96 points in a season, I think, something right mm -hmm. around there, new Dallas Stars franchise record, kids absolutely on a tear this year, one of the best goal scorers in the entire NHL and still very, very young and just kind of uh, now coming into his prime. Um, but yeah, you know, like you said, no, I do, I do agree. I think it is still Beneers to lose. Um, cause like you said, Thompson hasn't quite played enough games to where I could like strongly throw him into the running. What I found interesting, you know, is when I was kind of looking this up, reading up on it, because I was curious to know, like, you know, is, is everybody still saying that it's Beneers? Has anybody closed in on him at all? Yada, mm -hmm. yada, yada. The only name that I saw mentioned by kind of like any of the sports article sites uh, was Thompson. So I was like, hmm, that's that's interesting. You know, that's worth talking a little bit about. Um, really phenomenal, though. Just hasn't played enough games. 21 and 13, uh, 2.65 goals against average, 915 save percentage and two shutouts. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, you know, I think it's still going to go with Beneers. But a lot of young guys having really good seasons, and to me personally, that excites me as a hockey fan because, unfortunately, a lot of the guys that me and you grew up with, Noah, Steven Stamko, Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Those type of guys are unfortunately getting older and older, and father time will eventually catch them. So we need kind of a young core group of really, really good players to uh, keep the league headed and sail into the sunset. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, it, you know, like we told Fonz on, on his show last week, uh, it's the perfect time to get in the NHL because while that young, old guard is still there and producing, uh, you also have, you know, this younger generation that's coming through, guys like uh, uh, Jason Robertson, Matthew Kachuk, Tage Thompson, uh, that have, you know, guys that have either continued their dominance or broken out this year, uh, that are very young players getting it done defensively, Adam Fox, Kale McCarr. Uh, Miro Heiskin, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, and then you add in, you know, guys like Beniers. Uh, one name, I don't know if you mentioned on that list, Garth, really like Mason McTavish of the Ducks. Yeah, he's I, a steward. I know he has phenomenal in the World Juniors. Yeah, it's just, you know, unfortunately he plays on Ducks, doesn't get a ton of minutes, so he doesn't quite have the stats yet, but I think once he gets up there, he's going to be a very, very solid top six uh, player. But uh, And then you add in the fact Connor Bedard is going to be an NHL next season as well potentially another McDavid-like talent. Look out, man. Uh, the NHL is, is going to be wild uh, in the next few years. Uh, Ray says, Blackwood actually played well the other night. Well, he, he, you know that's rare with how Ray talks about uh, Blackwood. Um, Marty did it 14 times, actually. Uh, winning more than 30 games 14 times, that's just nuts. But it doesn't surprise me at all. Got to run, guys. Have a great night. Thank you very much for, for watching, Ray. Uh, Thank you, Ray blown up the comments as usual ray ray is a legend but uh speaking of legends garth we got legends on the team of the week uh this week there this one i will say forwards were a little easier the defensemen were so tough though there were like eight guys that were pretty much equal footing for me that i just had to kind of split hairs between for this one and the goalie i mean was the easiest choice 
the goalie for this week's team of the week was the easiest choice I've had on any team of the week this season. I mean, it was just laughable how easy it was. Uh, but we'll start with you on this one, Garth. Uh, your team of the week uh, for this one. Let me go ahead and remove the banner real quick. So you got Jason Robertson, Dylan Larkin, Leon Dreisaitl as your forwards, Merrill Heiskanen and more Siders defenseman, and Andre Vasilevsky as your goalie. Honorable mention Sam Reinhart, Justin Falk, Linus Olmark. So Garth, go ahead and take it away. Take it away. Uh, explain your team of the week. Yeah, a pair of German guys there. Now I know that excites me, and you, a big fan yes, of sir. The, the guys who come over from Germany and end up having a, a great go of it in the NHL. But yeah, like you said, no, I think the forwards were, I wouldn't say like super easy, but they weren't like very, very tough where I was like debating back and forth with myself, man, who should I pick this week? Mm-hmm. Defenseman was the one position that was really, really tough. There was probably a group of like six or seven guys where I could have had any, you know, combo of two of them on the list. Goalie, absolutely easy, but I'll get to that when I get to the goalie position. Uh, first and foremost, a guy who I just quickly mentioned actually, uh, Jason Robertson there, the Dallas Stars, four games played, uh, two goals, eight assists for 10 points. That led the way, plus four. Uh, interesting thing to me, Noah, is very low time on ice compared to most guys in the four group at like just over 18 minutes, where most of these guys, 19, 20, a little bit over 20. Um, so, you know, really, really effective with what time on ice he had. Moving over to the guy in the top center, Dylan Larkin. Uh, he had himself a hat trick, actually four games played five goals total, which was, I believe tied for the most over that span, three assists, eight points plus minus of six on a, uh, not so great Detroit Red Wings team. And again, he is one of the lowest guys there in time on ice with, uh, just barely over 18 minutes. So, you know, doing really, really good in the effectiveness department. That was kind of the trend of the week. What helped me separate a lot of these guys. Uh, and then thirdly, your guy, also one of my favorite players in the NHL, Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, for once, he uh, actually did better than his teammate, Connor McDavid, over this span. Usually they're like neck and neck. McDavid just slightly edges him out. Uh, this past week, he had himself the better week in only three games played, four goals. So slightly over goal per game, two assists for six points, plus minus of five, like we said, on an Edmonton Oilers team that, yes, has been winning. Uh, but has been giving up a lot of goals. So that was really impressive with him. Uh, a defenseman has been having himself a phenomenal season. Uh, four games played, he didn't have any goals, but he did have six assists, good for six points, led the way of any defenseman played a whopping 24 minutes time on ice. That was on the higher side. Um, You know, he did have some shot or block shots rather and some hits as well. Um, You know, just really, really impressed with the season that he's been having. One of my personal favorite young defensemen in the NHL. Going to be a huge part for the Dallas Stars if they can have some playoff success and make a potential run this season. Uh, Moving on, another German guy, as I said, Moritz Seider, the reigning Calder Trophy winner. A little bit, you know, of a slow start this season. Really took himself a while to get the flow of things. Uh, Obviously, the Detroit Red Wings have not been the best team in the NHL, so it could be just a little bit of uh, the team in general struggling. But he had himself a really good week. Four games played, zero goals, uh, but five assists, five points, plus minus of four. Um, you know, and he also is a really big physical guy who likes to hit. So he had himself nine hits, five block shots, you know, pretty much led the way there for defensemen in that category. No brainer had to have him on the list. Uh, and then finally to wrap it up, my guy, I wish I could say mostly because of bias, but he had himself in an absolutely insane week this week. Uh, let's see here, 0.33 goals against average, 990 save percentage, 3-0, and played some really, really good teams. I think that also was a huge part of it, who he actually went up against. Um, you know, he's been on an absolute tear. He must know playoffs are just around the corner now because he's kicked it into that other gear that we're so used to seeing out of him. Yeah, he is uh... – he has been absolutely ridiculous, which I'm about to mention because I'm about to put up my team of the week. But definitely some solid choices on your team of the week. Like you said, this week was pretty difficult, especially defensive-wise. 
And that third forward spot, in my opinion, uh, was really tough as well. But I'll go ahead and put up mine, some similarity and some differences, as always, with our teams of the week. So I got Jason Robertson, Dylan Larkin. I got Sam Reinhardt, who was on your honorable mentions, uh, does make it into my list. Eric Carlson, Mikhail Sergachev, one of your guys that I honestly thought might be on your list but was not but is on mine. And Andre Vasilevsky, who, like you said, you know, Garth, you've admitted it. You've had a few uh, slightly biased picks on your list, but this one was not, and I will explain why once I get to that. And honorable mentions, I also had Stam Coach. That honorable mention could have been one of, like, ten guys, Garth. I swear, like, it, it was really close for that. Justin Falk and Jonas Carpasal. So I'll go ahead and get into uh, my actual picks. So start with Jason Robertson. Like you said, he had two goals and eight assists for 10 points. He was a plus four. Um, he, he had uh, a game-winning goal, goal on the power play. Four. This is one thing I do like, Garth. Uh, five even strength points and five power play points. So he's not only killing it five on five, he's doing great on special teams as well. Uh, his shooting percentage was also... Uh, not too high, 11.8%, but he had 17 shots. So he committed himself this week to just putting the puck on the, the net uh, with no re- no remorse at all. Uh, second one, uh, Dylan Larkin had five goals, which was incredible. Definitely one of the league leaders for the week. Uh, it's the highest I see on the top of the list, at least. Tied with uh, uh, David Poshnak, also had five. But he had three assists to go to eight points. He was also a plus six. Um, and, uh, yeah, 31.3 shooting percentage was absolutely incredible for him as well. Now, the third guy was really tough, but I gave the edge to Sam, Re- Sam Reinhardt for a few reasons. Number one, he only had three games played compared to most other guys who had four. He had seven points, which was the highest for a guy with three games played. Uh, d- guys like Dreisaitl, Stamkos, Point, McDavid, blah, 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 all had six in three games played. Two goals, five assists, plus four. But something that really stuck out to me as well, Garth, won 56.52% of his faceoffs, three block shots, one hit, or excuse me, uh, two, yeah, three block shots, one hit. I was looking at the wrong player for a minute. Um, but listen to this, Garth, uh, 25% shooting percentage. He only shot it eight times, uh, but when he did, he, he was uh, very accurate to say the least. He also had two game-winning points, so directly contributing um, to you know his team winning games, four even strength points. Uh, three on the power play as well. Doing a little bit of everything. Had a game-winning goal, game-winning assist. Uh, so just a little bit of everything with Sam Reinhardt. And maybe a little bias as well because he is always a player I've kind of liked. Definitely an underrated type of player throughout his career. But, um, yeah, it's going to do it for my forwards. Defensive-wise, this was incredibly difficult. There were about six guys I was considering for these two spots. I gave an edge to Carlson. Um, he had five points in three games, all assists. Um, he had a plus three, which I thought was remarkable considering how terrible the Sharks had been this year. Um, he had seven block shots as well. So just, you know, just kind of more of the same for Carlson, just quietly, you know, on a team that isn't very good, just having an absolutely remarkable season. Now that second spot was where it was really difficult for me. And, you know, there are a lot of guys I could have picked, but I ended up going with your guy, Mikhail Sergachev, who's having a remarkable season. Um, after that contract extension he got, he got some people questioning it. Uh, clearly, he took that to heart and <laughs> took it as a, a chip on his shoulder or something because he's been remarkable this season. He was remarkable over this past week, Garth. One goal and three assists for four points in three games. Uh, 21.50 average time on ice. Um, but the things that really stuck out to me for Sergeyev, nine hits and four block shots. Uh, we've always known him as more of a defensive-minded uh, defenseman. But now that he's actually adding that offensive element to this game, look out, man. Uh, this guy has potential to be something really special, and he's still only 24 years old. And you know what? Um, maybe we, sh- <laughs> we should stop trying to doubt any decisions the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, management ever does because now it looks like uh, he's adding that offensive element to that game right after he gets locked into a long-term contract. So that's incredible. And then the goalie, like I said, this was the easiest choice I've had <laughs> for these teams of the week. All season, you went through the stats, but three games played. <laughs> this is honestly laughable, guard. 0.33 goals against average, 990 save percentage. So 100 shots even, he made 99 saves. He had two shutouts, one goal against. I mean, purely put, if you have more shutouts than you have goals allowed for a week, uh, you had a pretty decent week, to say the least. So there are a lot of great goalies here for this week, too. There were m- multiple guys with 940-plus save percentages, Alex Lyon of the Florida Panthers. Corpus Sao was my honorable mention. Uh, Omar had it as well. 
and even guys with 930s, Samsonov, Shesterkin, uh, Nedeljkovic, Hellebuck. I mean, this was a loaded week for goalies, but 990 save percentage. I think I got to give you a uh, give Vasilevsky the edge there. So that's going to do it. Uh, that was our teams of the week. As always, a little bit of similarity, a little bit of difference. We're still waiting for that that week where our teams are exactly the same. We've been close a few times. I think the most we had was five of six uh, being the same, but it hasn't happened just yet. Um, but, yeah, that was our last topic, and that is going to do it for this episode of the show. So, Garth, real quick before we do wind it down here, uh, do you have anything you want to wrap up the show with? Uh, just a huge thank you to everybody that tuned in tonight and blew up the comments. Obviously, Ray, uh, the regular himself, resident New Jersey Devil fan, was absolutely phenomenal tonight, loading the comments up. Um, you know, and just everybody stay tuned because playoffs is right around the corner. Like Noah said, the way it lines up, it's looking like next week will be kind of like our big actual uh, playoff preview show where we kind of take an in-depth look at what the matchups are and predictions and all that good stuff. Um and, and secondly, just to enjoy the heck out of it because it's going to come right down to the wire for a lot of these teams. You know, really the only te- two teams that are, like, for sure locked in where they're at is the Boston Bruins and the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Every other seed is up for grabs. Even if a team is clinched, you know, they still could move up or move down a spot. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. I'm personally really, really excited. Uh, hoping, praying, reverse jinxing, doing everything possible, Noah, in my power to try and help my Tampa Bay Lightning propel into that two seed and get home ice against the Toronto Maple Leafs because I know how difficult of a series that is going to be. I'm I'm, uh, very 50-50 split between being extremely hyped because playoffs are here, we're looking really good, and also very nervous because I know the Toronto Maple Leafs are one of the toughest teams in the entire NHL. Uh, but nonetheless, like I said, no, just a huge thank you to everybody that tuned in tonight, showed support, stay tuned. Playoffs is right around the corner, guys. Me and Noah are going to be extra fired up next Tuesday night. And lastly, um, one cool thing, Noah, I guess for the viewers, and I'll be able to talk about the experience real quick on next week's show. This Saturday night, I actually will be attending the NCAA men's ice hockey college championship it is here in amelie arena in tampa bay um tomorrow night is the final four so who will be playing in it is not determined yet Mm -hmm. um but the final four is minnesota michigan quinnipiac and boston college or sorry boston university not boston college powerhouses (laughs) yeah powerhouses so regardless of the final four outcome should get to see uh, two really good teams play, Noah, and also, you know, some future uh, potential NHL stars because there is a lot of players on all four of those teams that have been drafted and are, you know, a part of NHL. We're going to talk about that next Tuesday night and definitely playoffs uh, in depth. Yeah, no question. We we'll definitely have to touch on your experiences going to that game and uh, obviously the playoffs. Um, the regular season, I believe, ends April 13th. Uh, next next Tuesday is April 11th. So um, might have to talk to Tom about some schedule and see if we could try to do a show a little later in the week when results or matchups are finalized. Um, but that's the topic for another day. Until then, this has been another episode of Pucking Around here on the Rebian Preview Sports Network. Um, for all your hockey needs, make sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. But until next show, from myself, Noah Dog Dibler, and my co-host good buddy, Garth Charger Patrick, Uh, This has been a broadcast of the Review and Preview Sports Network. Until next show, uh, stay safe. Hope your hockey teams do well, unless they're Philadelphia Flyers, and have a good one. Keep pucking around.